This is the Third Act Podcast, shining a spotlight on individuals, charities, and small business owners suffering from illness, economic shutdown, or lack of support and funding. Meaningful conversations that generate compassion and financial support from listeners compelled to join us on this journey to improve the lives of others. I'm gonna dance with the stranger. I'm gonna enjoy your show. I'm gonna learn to forget and really let it go. And most of all, I wanna shine a light on good and look to give back. And that's what I'll do with my third, third act. And now your host, Roger Steed. One of the great things about starting a project like the third act is that it provides me the opportunity to reconnect with friends that I haven't talked to in a very long time. Over the past four or so months, I have been blown away uh, with the calls I've received from friends that want to share their story and help others find meaning that might inspire them to engage with good people doing great things to help others. My guest today has a remarkable story of survival and transition that is sure to get your attention and hopefully inspire you to get on the path of purpose in your life in order to help others. Mark Ernest is my guest. Mark and I worked together at Solomon Brothers many moons ago, researching and selling energy stocks to institutional clients. Mark retired in 2012 after a very successful career in the energy industry and also on Wall Street for over a 30 year period. It was so great to reconnect with Mark following my first newsletter when I described the reasoning for launching the third act from my perspective. As you will soon hear, Mark and I share something in common that is freaky, but his story is far more vivid because his life, major life-changing events occurred over the last eight years. Mark and his wife, Fina, have three sons, and today they split their time between Osprey, Florida and Frankfurt, Michigan. It is a pleasure to visit with Mark today and allow our listeners to hear a great story of triumph over challenge and the new direction that is inspiring his life today. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thank you and good afternoon, Roger, and good afternoon, everyone else. I'll talk about my story because it truly has been a transformational one. I do have a new direction in life. It's based largely on faith. I had a near-death experience in 2001 in Michigan, in Lake Michigan, in 2011, August of 2011. We've been going up there for summers for 30 plus years, and that particular summer day was like a lot of other ones where we went fishing in the morning and went to swim in a swimming hole called Herring Hole, right uh, at the edge of Lake Michigan. And I was with my father, my wife, and my three sons, and we were in about a 40-foot boat anchored about 75 yards from shore in this swimming hole that we always went to. Two of my sons jumped off the boat, swam to shore. I was waiting for my other son, and he wasn't ready. So I jumped off the bow of the boat into the cold Lake Michigan water. Even in August, it's cold. And I swam to shore, at least most of the way to shore. And the water was cold. I was out of shape. I had several drinks in the morning. That certainly didn't help my ability to swim to shore. But as I got very close to shore, only 10 or 15 yards, I said, I'm tired. I'm going to walk the rest of the way. And I tried to touch bottom. I couldn't. 
I tried it again after swimming a few more yards. And finally I said, there's got to be bottom. I'm just going to find it. So I went straight down and I could not find the bottom. So I struggled back to the surface. A wave hit my mouth, filled it with water. I sank to the bottom. And by that time, my wife uh, was screaming. I couldn't hear, obviously, but my third son jumped off the boat, went to find me. And after a few attempts, found me um, on the bottom and started to pull me up. And then it just so happens a fellow who's up there during the summers also was swimming nearby. He's a retired Navy pilot. He swam over to help my son rescue me. They pulled me to the surface. I will mention, too, that my son had water rescue training only a few days before uh, as part of his Eagle uh, Scout merit badge. So he was newly trained in how to save somebody, uh, ironically. So they pulled me to shore. I had no pulse, no breathing. I was turning purple. I was basically dying. And uh, my son, along with a Navy fellow, started performing CPR. And lo and behold, there happened to be two other emergency EMTs on the beach at that time. And it's a very remote beach. It's very unlikely that someone that they would be there, but they were there. They helped in the CPR. Six to eight minutes later, they revived me. So that was clearly a miracle. The fact my dad, son had the training, the Navy guy was there. All these things were a series of miracles. And I'm only here because God said, it's not your time to go. Like my wife says, St. Peter said, go back and, and do good things for the world because we're not ready for you yet. So I didn't really see the white light at that point, but I was very close to, to turning the corner because I had a warm, calm feeling as it being at the bottom of the lake, which is quite unusual. I think you told me that you were really unconscious or under it for seven or eight minutes, which seems like an eternity to me. But you did say or in the note that you sent me that you felt this sense of warmth and calm. Is that right? I did. I, I wasn't really, for some reason, at all concerned about sitting on the bottom of the lake. I just felt a tremendous sense of calm and warmth come over me that just basically said, you're okay. Don't worry that you can't get back to the surface uh, and swim to shore. Everything will be fine. And next thing I knew, I was waking up with about 10 people surrounding me. And the other element of the story, there was a Coast Guard vessel nearby that they went out in a dinghy and brought them in and they were doing EKG. The, the fact that all these people were there to help save me was just totally miraculous. So I went to the hospital from there. They hauled me out in the back of an ATV, spent a week in ICU, another week in the hospital. On that, and that, During that time, I also had two pulmonary embolisms as I was laying in bed, and those went to my lungs, further complicating my uh, inability to breathe. I had acute respiratory distress syndrome, which can be fatal. The pulmonary embolisms can be fatal. The cardiac arrest could be fatal. I, I got through a number of potentially life-ending things. And it was really just because my wife was screaming on the beach, don't go, God save him. But it was a pretty long road. I worked another year after that. I should have immediately gone on disability. I may not seem like it now, but I did suffer some brain damage. And I, do, I am cognitively impaired to some extent. But I, I chose about a year later to re retire as a result of that. And as we've talked about, Roger, alcohol was a part of the equation. And after having been a um, social drinker, then moderate drinker, then heavy drinker for a multi-decade period. At some point, a couple of years before this drowning event, I crossed the line between heavy drinker and basically alcoholic. So I had to go through a multi-year period of recovery from that as well. I did retire early and, and devoted myself to recovering my health, to devoting more time to my family, more time to causes that we can talk a little bit about, but basically giving back rather than my prior life, which had been one largely of selfishness and greed, 
shifting now to more compassion, humility, and wanting to help others instead of just living the life that I'd been living. My latest challenge, life-challenging event was being diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer about a year ago and then having a, a radical prostatectomy last January. And thank God that my treatment so far has put the cancer totally into remission. So that's uh, been a very favorable. So I'm a three-time survivor, if you will. I've been given so much. I want to give back to my family and to others. No, I think that's uh, the uh, really amazing part of the story that has touched me is that these three unbelievable incidents happened in this uh, relatively short period of time. I know the the drinking came over a period of time, but I think as I have gone over your story many times since we first started discussing it, I think we really have to give props to Fina, your wife. She was the one that was praying and saying, don't let him go, don't let him go. So if you don't mind, can you just describe a little bit about how she's dealt with the both the incident, the recovery, and how your family has grown closer, as you've described to me over the last several years? Obviously, the near drowning was a traumatic event for everybody in my family. My father, my three sons who were there on the beaches, they were trying to revive me. My wife, who was screaming, don't go, Mark. From that point on, she stayed with me in the hospital a full two weeks overnight, you know, 24-7, and helped me to recover. I was on intubated, so I was tied down, basically, and she communi- communicated with me. They thought that I was probably going to be brain-, brain dead, so she was ultimately able to communicate with me, and uh, I recovered over time. When we got back home, the alcohol issue didn't go away right away. Most wives, I think, would probably filed for a divorce or decided to separate because of the fact that for the next year, I did continue, next year or two actually, did continue to drink, even though I was almost, I almost died largely as a result of that. So my wife had very strong faith. We, as a family, developed much stronger faith as a result of it. Now, I guess if there's a silver lining, it brought all of my kids, or my three sons, much closer to Christ. They were very active in the church. They became very active in mission trips, both within the U.S. and, and overseas. It was a transformational event, not just for me, but for my entire family. So, it, and then, of course, having gone through this most recent cancer episode, it would have been really devastating to me had I not had it not been for my faith. And, and my wife is with me through this also. She's a very selfless person who, who goes out of her way to, to help other people. So I try to be more like her. I hate to say it, but us Wall Street guys tend to be a little bit greedy. Both of us have gotten away from that environment, but, but I didn't enjoy a life of, of greed and, and chasing all the things, that material possessions and the like that, we, that I chased for many years while I was involved with that financial career in New York. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, as I shared with you recently, I, I also had an experience of alcoholism in my family, and I know the, the difficulty and the devastation that can provide both to the individual that's suffering and also the family that has to deal with it. It's not easy, and it certainly takes a toll on everybody. Uh, big props to Fina, your family, your boys, as well as your dad. And I think you're correct. I think your survival and your transition to uh, this better life was meant to be. Is this a story of challenge that has overcome so many obstacles, and it's, it's turned out to be a beautiful story. Again, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you, Roger. I would elaborate a little bit more on the recovery from 
alcoholism. I've been sober for over six years now, and I became very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. But prior to that, I did go through two or three treatment stints. One of the last ones at Father Martin, which is now known as Ashley in in Hobdegras, Maryland. And that was a, a somewhat transformational experience for me too, being there at that treatment facility. But it really, it was based on, my recovery was based on a lot of prayer, a lot of meditation, a lot of being surrounded by people that had also suffered with addiction. And I not only was surrounded by people addicted to alcohol, but people addicted to opiates and other substances. And it's a big problem in the United States right now. And that's another area where I want to give back you know, by helping other alcoholics and, uh, and addicts to, to recover because it's not easy. And I've seen a lot of people, a lot of friends and a lot of people die as a result of the disease because it can be very easily can be fatal and it's very difficult to overcome. And I thank God that I was able to to overcome that because most people don't. No, I agree. I agree. I think it is a remarkable uh, recovery. But I wanted to go back just for a second on the third obstacle, the prostate cancer. And even at that time, as you were diagnosed early in 2019, you had already started developing this increased faith, which I think is probably what got you through the cancer episode and the treatments and so forth. But can you just recant that sort of episode in your life and how that how you felt when you found out about it as you went through it and how you finally made the decision to uh, get serious and go to MD Anderson? Throughout the years, even from when I was young, I was I've been a Christian my whole life. But with these events, I really got a lot closer to God and I'm involved with a Bible study group now that meets weekly online. That's been important to me. But just getting into the Word of God has, has helped me immensely to realize that we're only here for a short time on earth and there is a, a life after death. And so death, death really doesn't scare me, particularly since my near-death experience from the drowning. I'm going to die eventually and it's God's, be God's decision as to when when he takes me, I'll go home at some point. But I think that even with the cancer diagnosis, I was very fortunate to have a friend who is a, a urologist and oncologist in Miami. And as soon as I found out I was diagnosed, I couldn't get appointments here in Sarasota. So I went immediately to see him in Miami and we, he did had the MRI done. He did the uh, biopsy on me. He was the one to communicate to me that I had cancer. So coming from a fam- family friend was good, but when I found out later after having the, the operation to remove uh, my prostate, and then th- when they determined I had a very aggressive form of prostate cancer, I immediately contacted MD Anderson. And I'd known about MD Anderson because I had a friend who was treated for cancer there. He passed away, passed away unfortunately, but MD Anderson is one of the most highly regarded cancer um, uh, centers in, in the world. I went to Houston where I actually used to live and, and was examined and treated there by probably the top prostate cancer specialist who's, who's had 40 years of experience, Dr. Christopher Logothetis. Right. That was very reassuring to have, to have him treat me and basically tell me, my wife, that we're going to put him on this treatment. And he's going to do extremely well, particularly being an active person who exercises regularly. And sure enough, the um, what's called androgen deprivation therapy, which is hormonal treatment, has worked extremely well for me to put the cancer in remission. And the scans did show that even though they got into lymph nodes, they were very tiny lymph nodes, but they were up and, they're up and down the spine. So they really can't be radiated or operated on. So I've got these tiny little ticking time bombs up and down my spine, which 
I think that if God put the cancer there, he can take it away. And certainly right. with, the, with the treatment, I think it, it's put it in remission. My doctors tell me can't, this type of cancer is not curable. It's only treatable. The only way to cure it is to cut it out or radiate it out. And, and those aren't options for me. So I'm going to live with this the rest of my life. And I'm okay with that. Cancer is also something that's very prevalent. The golf pro at our club here has cancer. He's I don't know, 40 years old. I could go down the list and name all the people I know that have, have been diagnosed with cancers. It's something that I hope one day we'll find a cure for, and MD Anderson probably will be involved in the type of research that goes into to, to curing cancer. The way I take it, your growth in faith helped you power through your cancer episode, and I think that it gave you the strength to look forward instead of being uh, consumed by, obviously, the illness, which would uh, be devastating to anybody, but you powered through it. The PSA is undetectable now, so you're in remission and looking for better things. I put it all, at least in my understanding of it, is through your desire to get better and your faith and the way that you approached it, which should be commendable. Thank you, Roger. And I would make a plug for PSAs. They're controversial that they can result in false positives, but I insisted to my doctor that I get a PSA because I've got a cousin with stage 4B prostate cancer, which means it's spread throughout his entire body and he's fighting for his life. Anybody who hasn't had a PSA as part of their physical, get one because mine jumped from one one and under one to nine in a period of about 18 months. So it can sneak up. It can sneak up on you very quickly. Now we're at the stage where you're healthy and you're, you have this desire to give back. So let's talk about that for a moment. We talked about earlier this week and even before that about some of the major um, activities and causes and charities that you and Fina and the family are involved with. But let's start off with the Explorers Bible Study because I think many of our listeners will be uh, interested in that. Roger, I've, I've been involved with the Explorers for a couple of years now and we're currently studying the book of Matthew. The Explorers Bible Study is a worldwide organization. The part of Explorers that I'm involved in is called iStudy, and it's online Bible study. There are a lot of different groups that meet at different nights of the week, but they prepare materials and study lessons, and you use that along with the Bible to, to prepare for your session. In the evening, we have 10 to 15 people on a Zoom meeting. There are groups of varied participants of all ages and and races and, and whatnot. And there's something for almost everybody. And it's a very easy way to do Bible study. It only takes a couple of hours to prepare. And then an hour, for, in my case, from seven to eight on Monday nights. Explorers has been been very good. And I think it's 40 bucks to pay for the, the material. So it's very inexpensive. Is it easy to sign up for it? Uh, it's very easy to sign on, sign up for it. You can just go online and look for the, the tab of online study and find iStudy and you probably need to, before you signed up, find out what groups are available and uh, what age groups, age group I'm in is pretty much sort of 40 to 70 age group. And it's primarily males, but there are males and females and there are various groups. You need to find out which group you fit best in, but there are a lot of groups. So there's something for just about everybody in iStudy. And it's a very good way to do Bible studies, particularly in this COVID environment, to be able to do things on your computer at home. Hey, you sent me the website designation, so I'll make sure that we put that out next week in the newsletter. Um, I think it's kind of neat to have people from all over the country on the uh, on it because there's a lot of diversity in terms of types of people and a lot of different views of how to interpret God's word. So it's actually good to have a, a diverse group of people. 
No, absolutely. So we'll make sure that's provided next week for sure. I also wanted to allow you to have some time to talk about a couple of the other charities that are important to your life and FINA's. Let's talk a little bit about the Benzie area Christian neighbors up in Benzie County, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's one that we've gotten involved in the last couple of years. And we've been going to that part of Michigan, which is actually very beautiful for, for over 30 years. And, and we've always known that it's a very impoverished area. You see it as you go inland from Lake Michigan. Bacon is one of several food pantries in the area. My wife volunteered there this summer, and she said that it's extremely well run. They distribute food according to a schedule to get a box of food and things like laundry detergent, also clothing and financial assistance and other things. Um, but it's just a very well-run organization. She's devoted her time there. We've contributed to that. And I think it's a great way to help out in, in one of the poorest counties in Michigan, Benzie County. Right. So it's easy. I also have the website for that, which we'll provide our listeners next week. But it's easy to sign up and donate if one cares to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They rely heavily on outside donations. I would also comment that a lot of the people that, that come there are are people, Michiganders, if you will, that are in need. But there are also a lot of migrant workers up in Michigan during the summer months picking fruit. It's a big cherry picking area and, and apples and other fruit. Obviously, they don't, they don't make a lot of money. And they're a big part of the the group that's addressed by Benzie area, Christian Neighbors, BAC and Bacon, we call it. I wanted to give you a chance to talk about you and Fina's involvement with Madre Maria Luisa Foundation in Venezuela. My wife's from Venezuela and we got married down there in 1992. And at the time it was just a booming, vibrant economy, one of the strongest economies in the world and just a beautiful country. And since it became a socialized country and the poverty has increased over time, they're virtually without food, clothing, water, electricity, and people are, are starving to death and dying down there. But this nun who runs it, Madre Maria Luisa, has been doing it for about 40 years in terms of helping to support some of the one particular local community in, in Caracas where children are brought into a school, fed, and their parents can't afford to feed them. So the school takes them, take, takes them in, provides them with education, provides them with food, medical care, dental care, and other things. And they've had, I think they've got 400 people, 400 kids that they're currently working with. But my wife has been a major contributor to them, my wife and I. And it's, it's a long way from here, but it's extreme poverty that they're experiencing there. When children can't get enough to eat and are starving to death, it's really a sad situation. We, we do all we can to, to help them every year. It's, like I say, it is a long way from home for, for most people. But if you really want to help people that are greatly in need, I mean, 50 bucks would go a, a long way in Venezuela. Anything would help down there. I, I see by the description that you sent me, globalgiving.org. Is that specifically for the Madre Maria Foundation? They're the vehicle through which people make contributions to that foundation. And I guess finally, I put this at the end, but you talked about a little bit about the importance of MD Anderson as a cancer center for any individual suffering with severe cancer. I'm sure in the family are very supportive of that center as well. Yeah, we've been supporters of MD Anderson for over 20 years. It does date back to, to a good friend of mine in Houston who passed away from colon cancer, but 
MD Anderson is <clears throat> one of the top cancer treatment centers. If you go there to Houston, it takes up a huge area. It's a very professionally run hospital. It's not just a cancer treatment center. It's affiliated with the University of Texas. So it's a research center. So they have a lot of research and a lot of treatment going on there, hundreds and hundreds of doctors. So they address virtually every cancer known to man uh, at that place. And they really do treat their patients extremely well. They want to help people survive cancer and recover from it. Their slogan is basically the word cancer with a big red mark through it, indicating right. they want to get rid of cancer. So it's it, if anyone has cancer or cancer in the family, they're very welcoming to people from all over the country. It's more difficult now with COVID, but it's a place where um, people with cancer can feel a lot better about receiving outstanding treatment and recovering from a hideous disease. Thank you for that. I just wanted to summarize and say I'm so pleased that you have shared your experiences with our audience. And I think it's a, a celebration, really, of your survival, your health now, and your family has grown closer together. And I think that has a very powerful meaning to it. And I applaud you for the steps you're taking, the direction you're going. And I know I have many friends and uh, acquaintances in Florida, so I'm not going to be shy to uh, give them your number if uh, they need a good friend to talk to. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm willing to, to talk to anybody about any of these topics. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your uh, story with us and all the best, Godspeed, and uh, thanks for doing it again. I appreciate your time. Thank, thanks. Thank you for hosting, Roger, and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Third Act Podcast. To find out more about who we are spotlighting, how to get involved, or find show notes on today's episode, go to wearethirdact.com. With my third